back with another audio race report here on the Endurance House podcast. I'm Ryan Maher, and today we've got John Hebe um, and his um, Ozark Trail 100 um, audio race report. Um, John did the the race this year in 2020, um, which was held in early November. Um, this was actually my first 100 mile finish last year it holds a dear place in my heart i kind of feel like i cheated on it by ever wanting to run another race outside of missouri in the 100 mile distance before actually doing this i'm very excited to share john's story because john is one of the members of our run club if you can call us having members um he's always rocking his arch city run club hat and he did during his OT100 as well. Um, as he gets into his race report, you're going to hear him talk about um, reaching out to people and asking about the race and what they thought. Uh, John actually reached out to me on it, and I was one of the people that told him he should hold off, um, and not because I didn't think he would finish. I absolutely knew he would finish. John is a badass. He is biking and running um every day of the week uh if you follow him on Strava he puts in a ton of work um so there was no doubt in my mind that John was going to finish the race I steered him away because I wanted him to do really well in it if he did it and I knew that if he kind of held up had a couple of maybe 100ks under his belt or 100k under his belt before going into this he would have absolutely smashed um a, a big time on the race but I also love that he just went out and did it um with a goal of finish finishing and uh we'll get into the report and see if he did just that but I'm gonna let John take it over from here and here is John and his OT100. Hi this is John Hebe I'm a local runner in the St. Louis area and I wanted to share my experience running the Ozark Trail 100 mile endurance run. Where to start? I guess this starts back in December 2019 when one of my crazy trail running friends, Dave Goodman, convinced my brother and I to come join him in Arizona for the Haviland 100 race. He was going to enter the 100 mile race with Mark helping pace him for a segment, and I was going to enter the 100K race. During the spring while COVID was ramping up, we all thought that things would be under control by October. However, as summer approached and passed by, things were not looking promising. Both Dave and I decided to pull the plug and we canceled our entry. Dave switched races and entered a 24-hour race in Moab, Utah, with tons of sand, by the way, and I decided to ramp things up big time and entered the OT100. My longest ultra races to date have all been the 50k distance, so I was going big with this one. Plenty of people told me that I should do shorter races before trying the 100-mile distance, but Dave, Mark, and my wife Christine all thought I could finish. I knew that running for over 24 hours in a point-to-point trail race would have lots of challenges. One of the first things I did was search out for any and all info I could find about the race. Since the race is local to the Midwest and not as popular as bigger 100-mile races like Western States or Hard Rock, it made it difficult to find specific first-hand info. I did come upon some great blog write-ups and past experiences to read about. One was Emily's great blog write-up about her pacing duties for Jim. Lucky for me, at a local adventure racer and endurance athlete, David Fry's birthday party, Emily and her husband Earl were there. I was able to gain some good info about the race and tips and strategies for endurance events. 
Later the following week, Christine and I called them up and picked their brains for even more info. A few key things that I came away with were, one, don't leave an aid station until I've ate food and felt good. Two, treat any foot problems immediately. Three, pacers play an important role in being positive, keeping track of time, making sure you eat and drink regularly, staying on the trail. Four, gurney goo is amazing for feet. Five, mashed potatoes in a Ziploc bag is a game changer for eating real food while running. Six, don't give up so easily. It's a long race and there'll be lots of highs and lows. Side note, gurney goo is a dense cream that you rub on your feet or anywhere else you might have chafing, and it has things like tea tree oil and beeswax in it. It helps prevent pruned feet in wet conditions. And others have asked me about mashed potatoes in a bag. I made them the day before and put them in a small snack-sized Ziploc bag. During the race, I would cut off the corner of the bag and squeeze them into my mouth for easy eating on the run. After gathering up lots of info, I started making a race strategy. First was looking at the route profile, distances to aid stations, and where I would have crew. I made an Excel sheet with all of the mileages, what pace I thought I could run, how long I expected to take at the aid stations and crew locations, and the cutoff times. My goal time that I calculated was 30 hours and 26 minutes, finishing at 12.26 p.m. on Sunday. I also had a faster goal time in the back of my mind, but since this was my first 100-mile race, I realistically didn't think I should bank on that time. Next up for my strategy was nutrition. Starting on Thursday, Christine and I began to organize food and drink. For each of the legs of the race, I knew how long I'd be running for. I made sure I had packed with me at least one item of food per hour, plus one or two other items in case I could no longer stomach something in particular. Each of my 16-ounce bottles of my running vest contained Tailwind Energy Drink Mix, and my Camelback Bladder had Noon Electrolyte Drink Mix. At all of my crew locations, I made sure I had a good mix of real food to eat. Things like little potatoes with salt, mashed potatoes, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Nutella on soft taco shells, bananas, and more. Having the right equipment was key to my finishing success. Starting back in March, I switched to running in Ultra Shoes, in order to use in gingy toe socks. I was previously running in Saucony Peregrine shoes, but they were not wide enough for the spread of my toes in the in gingy socks. During the Quivering Quads 50k in March, I ran in Ultra Temp shoes, and I found that I loved how wide they were. The only downside is that they don't have enough cushion for such a long run, but the good news is that Ultra makes an Olympus shoe that does. So my shoe of choice this year has been the Ultra Olympus 4.0. They have amazing comfort, and the toe box is nice and wide. All through my training runs, I never got a blister while wearing them. Coming into the race, I had read that having brand new shoes to run in would be great for tired feet. A few weeks before the race, I ordered two more new pair of shoes. These proved to be great late in the race and for swapping out at crew locations after my shoes got wet from stream crossings. After shoes came my socks and preventative taping. I had previously been using 3M Micropore tape to wrap around a few problem toes that could get blisters. In more research, I found a great website at blisterprevention.com.au that turned me to Hypofix tape. It breathes well, provides support to abrasion, and stretches nicely around odd shapes like toes and heels. Starting back in August with all of my long training runs, I would tape my toes and not have a single blister or black toenail. After all of the preparation was in place, the weekend of the race quickly came. On Friday, Christine and I organized all of my gear and food into bins labeled with each crew location and packed the truck. I had plenty of spare clothing, gear, and emergency supplies. 
We headed down to Bass River to check in and get my race bib at a reasonable hour. I booked a hotel in Salem for Friday night, which made for a relatively short drive to the start line on Saturday morning. Sadly, that night, it took me over an hour to fall asleep. Saturday morning, I woke up at 3.30 a.m. and started to get ready, put on clothing, eat, and poop. I let Christina and Mark sleep until 4 a.m., and we left the hotel by 4.30 a.m. in order to get to the start line at 5.20. After checking in at the start line and figuring out my last-minute clothing choices, I was starting the long race at 6 a.m. The race starts with an out-and-back on a forest road for three miles before turning onto the Ozark Trail. It was very easy at this point to run. However, I forced myself to walk even the slight hills since I would need all of my energy for later in the race. The first 14 miles went by in a blur. My body was feeling amazing. All of the training this summer and fall and tapering for the last two weeks combined to make a recipe for success. The only negative was that I wasn't as thorough in the bathroom that morning and I had to stop at mile 7 to poop again. The trail conditions were very tough. Lots of loose rocks, exposed roots, off-camber trail, and steep hills to climb. Lucky for me, the dry feet gods were kind to start. The first two major creek crossings were able to be avoided. The first had some large rocks scattered about, and I was able to hop from one to the other, and the second had a large fallen tree across. However, it was a bit more of a challenge. The tree was very tricky to walk across as it bounced up and down as other runners were getting on and off, and the trunk was not very wide. The creek appeared to be about 20 feet wide and 4 feet deep, so one missed up and I would be wet head to toe. One of the first grand viewpoints along the run is Sutton's Bluff. It towers high above the west fork of the Black River. The two miles leading into the first crew location at mile 14 descend over 250 feet down the river bluff. It was hard not to stop and take a lot of photos of the beautiful location. I came into the first crew location feeling like I had just warmed up. Christine, Mark, and my mom all started to work on me like I was a race car coming into the pits. Changing shoes and socks, rubbing my muscles with balm, using a Theragun on my quads, feeding me, changing out my running vest, and resupplying me with food, water, and encouragement. After about 20 minutes, off I went. Coming into the race, I knew that the next leg could be a challenge. It was 26 miles long, I would be running by myself, and everything I read about it indicated that the trail was rugged. My pace started to slow down a bit as I was taking my time navigating all the rocks and routes, but I wasn't careful enough. Around mile 20, disaster struck. The trail was off camber to the left and there were loose rocks. My right foot slipped out from under me and I landed hard on the outside of my right hip and knee. I quickly did a self-assessment to make sure nothing major was broken. After some self-pity came the pain and thoughts of failure. At this point, I gave myself a 0% chance of finishing. I gathered myself together and started to run again. Two miles later, the pain wasn't getting any worse, so that was good news, I thought to myself. At this point, I got up my trekking poles earlier than expected and used them strategically to keep the pain at bay while going up and down the steep hills and over large rocks and down trees. By this point in the race, the sun was out and the temperature was quickly rising to well above average for November. The next three aid stations were spaced out between 5 and 7 miles, and I ran out of water twice. The first time I ran out was a half mile before Johnson Hollow aid station because I didn't check the amount of water ahead of my camelback at the last stop, so my fault. The second time was about one mile before Gunstock Hollow Aid Station. However, this time I ran out with something because I was drinking so much water due to the heat and the longer distance between aid stations. At 31 miles in, I was suffering quite a bit. My right side was all messed up, I was out of water, I had hot spot on my left heel, and my feet were wet from Strother Creek. Luckily, at the Gunstock Aid Station, I had a drop bag with more of my own food, lube for my feet, 
and a fresh pair of socks. I took a lot of time to fix myself, and as luck would have it, there was a large log to sit on. First, I drank a ton of heat and water. Then I ate lots of food from the aid station and a cliff bar from my drop bag. Then I sat down to address my feet. I took off my shoes and socks, dried my feet, and cleaned my foot as best I could. I had in my first aid kit some blister pads, so I placed one over my hot spot and taped around my foot to make sure it didn't move, and then put a pad on the inside of my shoe to help with any rubbing. I honestly don't remember too much more about the nine miles from Gunstock Hollow to Brooks Creek. I was kind of in the zone, trying not to think about the pain and taking the sights. I did stop around mile 35 at Neal's Creek to take a look around at the beautiful scenery and snap a few photos. As I was running next to the creek, I kept thinking, I'd like to come back here and explore more and show Christine how beautiful the place is. Finally, I made it into mile 40 at the Brooks Creek aid station and not a mile too soon. I had Mark massage my legs, apply rub, and instructed him how to permanently fix my hot spot. Christine tackled feeding me and preparing my gear for the next leg of the race, and my mom gave moral support. I told them about my fall, and my mom asked how I was doing. I said, I'm hanging in there, as I rolled my eyes. I think by the look on my face, she knew I wasn't doing well. Everybody said, you can do this. So by that point, I had increased my chances of finishing from 0 to 10%. An improvement. Mark and I put on our lights, and off we went for the long stretch of night running. These segments of the race were some of the longest between aid stations, around 8 to 9 miles. Without a pacer, I don't know how I could have managed. Mark was kind enough to carry most of my food and gave me regular reminders to eat and drink. Running at night has some benefits. You can't see too far ahead of you to know how steep or long the hills are, and the light makes you only focus on the trail right below your feet. Not so great for sightseeing, but it works well for staying focused or not tripping over rocks and roots. Despite the pain I was in, the miles were ticking by. Mark was doing a great job of constantly talking to me about various things, giving me encouragement, and trying to take my mind off everything. It was working well. We got into a great rhythm, running the flat and smooth sections of the trail, power hiking the uphills, and walking the steep downhills to avoid my quads from cramping up. We were setting a consistent pace and staying ahead of my schedule. The two aid stations, first at Highway DD and the second at Martin Road, were amazing. Great energy, lots of lights, music, friendly and helpful people, and good food. If my memory is correct, I think the Martin Road aid station was the best, as I remember them having a large projection screen set up playing Led Zeppelin concerts. It was so cool to be coming into an aid station in the middle of the forest and seeing bright lights and hear rock music, like I was at a party. After getting energized and refueled, Mark and I started off again and headed towards Hazel Creek nearly 10 miles away. The stars were out and shining brightly, and by this point the temperature had cooled off some. The only snag came after we crossed Hazel Creek. The trail was shared by a jeep road, and we missed the sharp turn where the trail forked off. We mistakenly kept running the jeep road, and after a quarter mile, we realized that we hadn't seen any trail markings. I checked the map of my phone to make sure we were off trail, and we double-backed. Once at the Hazel Creek aid station, I had Mark put some icy hot on my legs and lied down to rest. Christine had everything set up and ready to go, so I ate some food and got my shoes, socks, and gear swapped out. Christine looked excited for her pacing duties and the running ahead of us. I don't remember how long I was stopped, maybe 45 to 60 minutes, but it proved to be too much for my joints. When Christine and I started off, I felt horrible. My joints were near the point of locking up due to all the time stopped. Looking back, this was probably the lowest point of my race. My body felt wrecked, it was dark, late at night, tired, and I still had 35 miles to go. It easily took me about 5 miles before my joints loosened up again. With all that was going on inside of me, Christine was doing a great job of talking and keeping me engaged. She regularly forced me to stop, stretch, drink, or eat when I didn't want to. 
She knew what my body needed in order to keep going. Again, as luck would have it, none of the smaller creek crossings were flowing high, and I was able to avoid wet feet. The last major creek was Lost Creek, about 1.5 miles from Berryman Aid Station. Christine had brought with her two large plastic bags, and she kindly gave them to me to put over my shoes that came up to my knees. I was able to cross the creek and stay dry while she got her feet wet. As we came into Berryman and Campground Aid Station, I knew that I didn't want to stop for very long and risk my joints locking up again. Since I was able to cross the previous creek and keep my shoes dry, I decided not to take the time and change socks or shoes, and quickly ate some food and got resupplied. Mark took over pacing duties and we were off for the final 22 miles. It wasn't until a mile or so after leaving Berryman that I thought I had a chance at finishing the race. Up to this point, the pains throughout my right side were high and I could feel like I was slowing down. However, Mark kept telling me that we were doing great on time and the pain got no worse. Slowly, the sky started to brighten and I could feel like the race was coming to an end. Mark and I made it all the way to Henpeck Hollow Aid Station at mile 94.4. What a relief, but now without some excitement. As I was standing near the truck getting ready to eat some food, I started to feel lightheaded. The next thing I knew, I was sitting on the road and Mark was holding my back up. After what felt like 10 minutes, I asked them, What happened? Why am I on the ground? And did I faint? Christine grabbed some orange juice for me to drink, and after 15 minutes, I started to feel better. Up I came off the ground, and I was ready to finish out the race. Christine had her backpack ready to go, and was originally going to pace me the rest of the race to the finish. However, I felt like I had a better chance of finishing if Mark paced me. Is it okay to choose my brother over my wife? Maybe don't answer that. I knew from talking with mountain bikers and runners that the last stretch of the Ozark Trail was tough. I had to go over three steep hills named the Three Sisters, although nicknamed the Three Bitches. Let me tell you, if you came into the last aid station thinking you could cruise to the finish, you were wrong. Now I know how they got their name, and rightly so. With how steep they were, I think my pace slowed to 30 minutes per mile, and they were a bitch to get over. Coming into the finish, Mark told me that he had been texting with Christine and giving her updates. I asked him if she was going to run the last mile with us, and he said yes. I was excited to see her, and even more excited when she came with a bag of ice. She filled out the back of my shirt and cooled me off. The last mile was a lot of joy. I couldn't believe that I had made it. I deliberately walked the last stretch in order to save up enough energy to run across the finish line. I thought it would feel weird to walk across the finish line when the race is the Ozark Trail Endurance Run. After getting my buckle, I quickly flopped in the waiting chair and fell asleep. On the drive home, Christine stopped at a McDonald's drive-thru and rattled off an order like she had a serious case of the munchies. I'll have three milkshakes, two large fries, one medium fry, two quarter pounders, two cheeseburgers, and make sure there's plenty of salt packets. It all came so quickly that it must have made the cashier's head spin. A plus job, babe. Now that I've had a day to think about the race, I have a few more thoughts. One, pacers and crew were critical to my success. Two, planning was critical to my success. Three, your body can overcome a lot of pain, and I mean a lot. Four, just put one foot in front of the other. And five, someone slap me if I decide to enter another 100-mile race. Oh, man, I love it. So... The things that, and, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, this style, is because of the detail that John went into when, you know, going into the race and preparing for it. Um, I love listening to people's detail like that because I don't do it myself so <laughs> very well. So it's great to pick up those tips. Um, and John nailed it with 
the amount of detail provided here uh, is awesome. So a couple of things, just going back and thinking about his report, um, you know, at mile 26, he gave himself 0% chance of finishing um, and just kept powering on. And, you know, when he goes through, John goes through his checklist at the end, you know, it is literally one foot in front of the other um, and moving forward, you know, to get these things done. A lot of people would have bailed and he fought through the pain and just kept kept moving forward. Absolutely love that. I mean, shit, the guy fainted with six miles to go and still got it done. It's absolutely amazing. Um, one thing, does anyone have any idea what Gurney Goo is? I've never heard of that in my life. I will link to that in the show notes so we can all see what that actually is. Um, but one more thing on the OT100, um, since we have a chance to chat about it here, it, it definitely needs to be on your radar if it isn't. It is a classic point-to-point 100-mile race that I don't think gets enough credit or love because it's not on ultra signup, unfortunately. Um, so people don't see it. Um, it's more of a spoken word hundred miler. And if you know, Stuart and Paul, they are old school, classic ultra guys. And I, it, it shows in a race and I love it. Um, but at the same time, I think the race doesn't doesn't get the love that it should because there's not as much exposure so hopefully these race reports and people running them will give it more love Uh, the first two reports we've done on here ot 100 and no business 100 are incredible races and there's a million not a million but there's a ton of other incredible races out there too i know i think i have a little soft spot in my heart for these but um do your research on ot 100 uh and listen to John's report a couple of times. I guarantee you, you will have a amazing race if you come and check it out. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to share your story, please send it over. We'd love to, we'd love to air it and get it out there and highlight other races and other athletes. Just shoot an email to Ryan at one three sports dot com. O n e the number three sports.com.